Feeling lucky today? Are you experiencing hard luck? Are you going through a string of bad luck? Well, he is just unlucky. She is just unlucky. I'm amazed of how the word luck and lucky has made its way into our daily vocabulary now. Amazing. But there is even a worse side to luck and luckiness. <laughs> the superstitious people sometimes feel that they are cursed by bad luck. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen them. <laughs> Some actually become so irrational about their superstition and the fear of bad luck. Not long ago, I read a, a story about this irrationality. A house burglar, he said to his partner in crime, he said, the police is here. You better jump out of the window. And his partner in crime said, but we're on the 13th floor. And the burglar said, this is not a time for superstition. I even loved the father who said to his son when he asked, Dad, what is luck? And the father said, Luck is something that enables the other fellow to succeed where you have failed. <laughs> and here, had Naomi and Ruth been superstitious, they would have blamed bad luck for their situation. We saw in the last message that the compounded misfortune that forced them to live literally hand-to-mouth. In this short series of messages, I really want to establish several things. One overall title, I call it Match Made in Heaven, but in reality, some of you have heard me say this, when people say, oh, it's a match made in heaven, I said, yeah, so is thunder and lightning. <laughs> but actually, this is a match made in heaven, truly. And in the last message... We saw in chapter 1, verses 19, 20, and 21, Naomi experiencing a great deal of embarrassment by her former neighbor and her former relatives in Bethlehem. And she went back and she said, don't call me Naomi, pleasant, call me bitter, Mara. And yet, Naomi never explained her experience of loss as bad luck. Not one time. In fact, to the Israelites, to the saints in the Old Testament, the word luck associated with pagan worship. That's what pagans say. That's what pagans believe. They believe in luck. Well, we don't believe in luck. Look at chapter 2 with me. I hope you got it in front of you. In the second half of verse 3, as luck would have it. You got it in your Bible? No? It's not there. It's not there. That was a test. As it happened. Who made it happen? The sovereign God. Ruth found herself gleaning in the fields of Boaz. Why? Beloved, the Scripture from cover to cover affirm the sovereignty of God. Even in the situations that are inexplicable, even in circumstances that do not make any sense to us whatsoever, it makes sense to God. See, when Paul said in Romans 8.28, which we glibly kind of quoted a lot, <laughs> this verse in 8.28, in all things, how many of those things Paul's talking about? All, all things. 
for the believer. That's just for the believer, to those who love him. Make sure you read the rest of the verse. When he says all things, he meant just that, all things. Not just some things, not just the bits that we like, (laughs) not just the points that we prefer, not just the areas where we are comfortable. No, no. He says all things. We're brought up to think about cause and effect, action and reaction. We think we know what is fair and what is not fair. And even the term commoner, a Hindu concept, has become part of our everyday vocabulary. Karma? No. We don't get what we deserve. We get what He gives us, which we don't deserve. And therefore, to wait for God to take that pain and suffering, to wait for God to take the trials in life, and He turns them in His loving way into a blessing, it's very hard to accept. In all things. And how many things? God is cooperating. That's really the literal translation of the word. God is is bending things around. He is twisting and doing and working and and doing several things on maybe 2,000 fronts, not just one or two, for the good, according to His foreknowledge. Look with me again at verse 3. As it turned out, as it turned out, who made it turn out? Not as luck would have it, no. The gracious, sovereign, heavenly Father. And that is why the writer for the book of Ruth, he does not wait till chapter 3 to introduce Bowers. He introduces Bowers in chapter 2, very early on. (laughs) There is wisdom in that. But what is even far, far, far more important than that is that Boaz turned out to be, as we say in the South, a kinfolk. He's a kinfolk. (laughs) And my beloved friends, this is the first clear indication that God is working behind the scenes to bring great things out of the pain and the suffering and the trials. Don't ever forget that in your darkest moment you are favored by God. Why else would He have saved you? Why else would He have adopted you? Why else would He have redeemed you? Why else would He have called you His own? And so Ruth, who's a Gentile, don't you ever forget that? Gentile. She's a Gentile. And you know the animosity. She's a Gentile. But she was discipled in the Word of God, in the Old Testament, by her mother-in-law, Naomi. Because in that very action of going out and gleaning, there is a knowledge of the Scripture, particularly Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. Look at it with me, and I'm going to read it word for word, because I don't want to miss that. It's so important. Listen carefully. God speaking to the landlords, the farmers, those who own the land, just like Boaz, and those before him. Here's what God is saying. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not totally reap the corners of the fields, nor shall you gather the gleaning of the harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And so young Ruth followed the Scripture that was taught to her by her mother-in-law. 
And she goes out as a stranger, as a foreigner, to glean from the field of Boaz, as luck would have it, right? (laughs) Boaz is a kinsman. What is a kinsman? Well, in the Old Testament, the concept of family is a whole lot more than we now refer to the nuclear family. It's a lot more. It's basically anybody who's your blood relative is a family. And that is why the widows and the orphans were always come under the cover and the protection and the provision of the family, not the government. The family was the basic unit of the Israelites' social and kinship relationship. If you read carefully in the book of Joshua, you remember when Joshua took the people into the promised land and defeats the Canaanites, and they go in there, and the land started being divided. Why is it being divided the way it was divided? And if you read it carefully, it's divided according to families, clans, and tribes. All according to they inherit this family. Why? Because they believed with every ounce of their being that God is the one who owns the land and is giving it to them for inheritance. You see, the faithful Jewish believer in the Old Testament believed that there is not an inch in the universe that God does not own. He entrusts us with His properties. He entrusts us with His money. He entrusts us with His people in our family. And that is why we have personal responsibility. You see, responsibility to manage what He places in our hands. We are working for the boss. We're not in business for our own. We don't own our money. We don't own the cars and the homes and everything else that we have. Responsibility to be stewards for the owner. He owns it all. In fact, throughout the Scripture, the balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility is on every page in the Scripture. He's the owner. We're the tenants. He is the owner entrusts us to be faithful with what He places in our hands. In 1888, there was a man by the name of Abraham Cowper. He was one of the great theologians of all time, a Dutchman. But he actually became the prime minister of Holland. And here's what Abraham Cowper said. There is not an inch in the whole area of human existence of which Christ, the sovereign of all, does not cry, it is mine. It's mine. It's mine. Everything we have is His, and He can take it away in a flash. I've seen it with those two eyes when we're not faithful with God. And so Boaz inquires, who this strange woman, Ruth, who was gleaning in his field? And when they told him who she was, he said, in effect, oh, yes, 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 yes. This is the faithful daughter-in-law of Naomi. (laughs) Oh, yes, I remember hearing about her selflessness, who sacrificed leaving her family and her home to be a blessing to her mother-in-law. Oh, yes, this is the one I have been hearing about who has left all to be with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Beloved, listen to me. In verses 8, 9, and 10 is where you actually see the engine room of God's grace. Not a single person at the sound of my voice who had not received grace from God. (laughs) 
We're all recipient of His grace. Some of us take it more for granted than others. Some of us are more grateful for the grace of God than others. But nonetheless, all of us have received grace from His hand. But here, you get the chance of seeing the engine room. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's where grace is working. Because it was compassion. It was compassion that motivated Boaz and meets Ruth at the point of her need. Now, beloved, listen to me. It was compassion that caused Jesus to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth. It was compassion that makes our Lord continuously, constantly meeting us at our point of needs. There is more. There's a whole lot more. Ruth calls herself a foreigner. That's what she called herself. But Boaz called her a daughter. Did you get that? She calls herself a foreigner. He calls her daughter. Now, I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. I hope you're going to get ready to shout like me too. (laughs) While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were strangers and foreigners from God, He called us His children. When we were at enmity with God, He called us sons and daughters. When we were in a state of rebellion against God, He called you a friend. When you and I were totally unaware of God's love, His love reached out for our hurt and for our pain. Look at how the kinsman redeemer treated this faithful Ruth. First of all, he sweeps away all of the doubt regarding her being a kinsman. Then he gives her the run of the field. Not just those corners and not just the gleaning. No, the whole field is hers. Then he offers her protection. Then he offers her water to drink, not just during the breakdown, but anytime she wants to. (laughs) Ah, but this is just the beginning. This is just a token of the grace. The rest is yet to come. It will going to follow the abundance of grace. And beloved, I am convinced with every ounce of my being as I'm standing here before you that God wants to pour His grace. He wants to pour His blessings upon His children, but only if they're faithful. I know when you're going through pain and suffering, I know that we often ask, Oh God, why me? You may not have done that, but... That's more common than you. Oh, why me? I want to help you on this. You can ask that question, but you can ask it in another way. Okay? I'm going to show you another way to ask why me. When you look beyond your pain and suffering, when you look beyond the circumstances, uh, when you look beyond the trials of life, and then you look at the grace of God that is offered to you, that's given to you, and you look at the grace of God, I want you to look to heaven and say, why me? Why me receive love on the cross of Calvary? Why me received forgiveness of all of my sins? Why me received redemption of all my shame? Why me received the priceless gift of eternal life? Why me, Lord? Why me receive adoption by the Creator of the universe? Why me? There is a right way of asking it. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. You see, like Abraham, and don't you ever forget, Abraham was a pagan before God appeared to him. He was a pagan worshiper. He's an idol worshiper. Ruth was pagan, Moabite. And like pagan Abraham, in obedience left home 
and family to follow God's call, she leaves home and follows Naomi, but she more than follows Naomi's God. Listen carefully. God is no man or woman's debtor. He is not going to be indebted to you. He will not allow himself to be indebted to you. Jesus said that even a cup of water God rewards. When you have been faithful to God, and you may go through a rough patch. And remember this, we all go through rough patches. Remember Asaph, the author of some of the Psalms? Psalm 73 is one. When he was going through this rough patch and seeing the righteous suffering and the godless being blessed, he wondered aloud, thank God we have it in the Scripture, in Psalm 73, is my faithfulness to God has been worth it. Is it worth it? Look where I am, and I've been faithful to God. Beloved, listen to me. That's a thought from the devil, and treat it that way. Because what God is doing is He's working behind the scenes. He's working, He's working, He's doing, He's molding, He's planning of how to reward your faithfulness when you're going through the rough patch. He's working His way out of how to bless you for your faithfulness. To put it in the language of the Apostle Paul, he is doing something exceedingly, abundantly above what you can think or imagine. Hudson Taylor, wonderful man of God, one of my heroes. I remember reading his biography when I was a young Christian and just inspired me no end. Hudson Taylor was a pioneer missionary to China. Pioneer. He experienced so much hardship and difficulties, but he was sure of one thing God called him. And so, as he was translating the Bible into Chinese, he comes to Mark chapter 11, verse 22, and he stopped. He was stymied. Have faith in God. Say it with me. Have faith in God. At this moment in his life, Hudson Taylor was facing horrendous outward circumstances and opposition and terrific inward doubt. I am so grateful for the honesty of these great men and women of God because those of us who have this misunderstanding of thinking that these great men and women of God never experience pain, that will disabuse you of this. And so he decided that he's going to study the depth of what that means. And he came to the following conclusion. He said, I've learned that it means to take hold of God, whose very nature is dependable faithfulness. It's his very nature, dependable faith. Hold on to the faithfulness of God. Hold on to it even if you're holding with your fingernails. Even when you feel that you are in a free fall, remember this, His everlasting arms are underneath. Do and never let you hit the ground. The everlasting arms are underneath. Listen to me. Under His wings, there is a refuge for all who trust Him. Now, in Ruth chapter 2 is an amazing picture, but those of you who have never seen a farm or know anything about agrarian society, you're going to say, well, you know, he just picked up some 
grains, and so I want to explanify it for you, okay? Uh, all you smart 21st century scientists, I want to explanify this for you. Okay, I want you to use your imagination, because without using your imagination, you miss out on an incredible blessing. Just think of yourself as a temporary worker in a big company, or minimum wage earner. And then all of a sudden, you hear on the PA system in the company, John Smith, come to the receptionist. You're calling my name. Why is that? In this case, it was Ruth the Moabite, come to the receptionist. I mean, you're half worried, and you're half excited. You don't know why they're calling your name, and you don't know why. Have you done anything wrong? Are they going to get sacked? Or what's going to happen? And so, nervously, you go and say, well, I am John Smith. I'm Ruth the Moabite. At that point, they tell you that you are invited to have lunch in the executive suite with the CEO of the company. Huh? You're speechless. You're stunned. You're almost fainting from feeling giddy and surprised and and all of the emotions that go through inside of you. This is what happened here in Ruth chapter 2. While Ruth, still basking in this glow of having lunch with the boss, (laughs) he says to her, but that's not all. That's not all. Eat all you want, and then you're going to have a doggy bag for your mother-in-law. Except they didn't call it doggy bag then. You have enough food to eat, and then take as much as you can, or as much as you want to, for Naomi, your mother-in-law. Oh, Ruth. Oh, Ruth. (laughs) But this is just the beginning. The abundant life is coming. The blessing is coming. The doors of heaven have not opened wide yet. The best is yet to come. The abundance of blessings is yet to come. The windows of heaven are yet to be opened wide. The Bible said that God moves us from one point of glory into another. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now watch this. First, Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi is where it all began. That's where it all began. Then her faith in the Lord God of Israel, the God of Naomi, verse 12, is far more central even in Bauer's thinking. Bauer's sought to compensate her abundantly for the losses and the sacrifices that she has made. Oh, but that's only a small deposit. This is just a deposit. This is a tiny deposit in comparison to the abundance that God is about to bring into her life. In chapter 3 and 4, of the book of Ruth, we're going to see that. We're going to see that overwhelming abundance of the grace of God. Look with me at the amazing provision of God. Verse 13 all the way to 23. Ruth responds to Bauer's graciousness. is very important. Listen to me. This is a role model for all of us of how we respond to the grace of God. Listen. Your response to God's graciousness with you is of vital importance. Jesus tells us that He watches to see when He gives us small blessings, little blessings, small deposits, and He watches 
how faithful you are with that little that He's given you, how faithful you are. And then He says that he who is faithful with little will be faithful in much. So He begins to enlarge your tent. He begins to enlarge your territory. He begins to bless you abundantly. Beloved, this is a biblical principle. I'm not making it up. It's not my idea. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. I am absolutely amazed when I hear some people say, Oh, when my ships come to harbor, I will do thus and thus. You kidding me? You've never sent any ships out. (laughs) How are you going to expect ships coming to the harbor? Verse 13, Boaz is moved by Ruth's humility. I believe with all my heart, God is moved by humility and gratitude and thankfulness. She said, You are most gracious to me, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I'm not one of your servants. Ruth was happy to settle for a servant-master relationship. She was ready to settle for that. But that's not how God treats us. He said, I no longer call you servant. I call you what? Friends. She saw herself as unworthy of the grace that she received. Look with me at Bowers' response to her humility, verses 15 and 16. He goes way beyond what is required by the law of God to an amazing grace. He goes beyond his duties. Beloved, that's why it's called overwhelming grace. We call it amazing grace. Amazing grace means it is mind-boggling. He has gone beyond the letter of the law to let love fulfill the law. Hear me right, please. Bauer's overwhelming generosity demonstrated the character of God as he revealed it in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. I want you to imagine this. Imagine with me. When Ruth comes home to tell Naomi what happened at work, (laughs) just think, and she comes home and says, Naomi, I can't wait to tell you what happened at work today. Naomi, of course, immediately realizes that Yahweh's hand in working in this marvelous provision. She immediately sees Yahweh's hand. Verse 20, this was a confirmation to Naomi that her God has not despised her, that her God had not forgotten her, that her God had not forsaken her, that her God is rewarding her for coming home. And you heard me talk about that last message. She came home, and God is going to bless her coming home. God is blessing her for returning home to His people and His land. God wants to bless His children in the community of faith. God wants to bless His children when they belong to the body of Christ. God loves to bless His children if they're not separating themselves from the body of believers. God always wants to bless His children who expresses their commitment to Him and to His church. I can only imagine how Naomi's mind was racing. (laughs) 
Imagine her hearing that story, and her mind was going a million miles or in a minute. She said, Bowers? Did you say Bowers? Did I hear you correctly? His name is Bowers? <laughs> is that his name, Bowers? Verse 20. Yeah, that's our relative. He's our kinsman redeemer. Actually, the word Joel, that's J-O apostrophe E-L, is a whole lot more, and I'll explain that in the next message. Don't miss the next message. It means a whole lot more than just a relative or a blood relative. Kinsman redeemer. Ruth, you're not only granted provision of food for the rest of the harvest season, but for the rest of your life. Ruth, you're not only temporary blessed, but all of your future is blessed. Ruth, you're not only counted among Boaz's workers, you're a friend. Ruth, you are not only blessed for now, <laughs> but you will become the human ancestor of the Messiah. Obed, Jesse, David, all going to come from you all the way to Jesus. My beloved, this is God's blessing of salvation. He's not only promised to never leave you nor forsake you, but He promised to guide you all the way home to heaven. God's blessing of salvation is not only to forgive you all of your sins here and now, but to keep you safe for all of eternity. God's blessing of salvation not only that will make you not longer a stranger, but you become a son and a daughter. <laughs> but you, not only that, you're going to inherit everything Jesus inherits. God's blessings for your salvation will keep you protected, and is going to keep you protected even from your own foolish decisions. He will keep you protected even if you are prone to wander away from Him. will keep you protected from your ingratitude to His grace and blessing. He will keep you protected from being preoccupied with His blessings and ignoring Him, even when you're focusing on the wrong things, even when you are indifferent toward the Lord, even when you attempt to get out from under His wings and His shadow. His security for you is indisputable. Please hear me right. One thing that's going to lift you out of the depth of your pain, whatever pain you're going through, one thing that will lift you up from whatever circumstances that are weighing you down is when you realize that you are an imitator of your kinsman redeemer. You are an imitator of your kinsman redeemer. Therefore, what you and I need to do and must do should do, have no option but to do, is to express grace towards somebody else, is to express grace to someone whom we think they're not worthy, <laughs> to see your blessings as something to be used to bless God and His work, not just for you. Let me conclude by saying the prayer of John Wesley. This is a prayer that John Wesley prayed on a regular basis. Let me do all the good I can to all the people I can, by all means I can, as often as I can, for I shall not pass this way again. Be an imitator 
of your kinsman redeemer by demonstrating the character of God, the God whom Ruth came to believe in and worship. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.